You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Hello, welcome to Japanese. I'm your host, Aki Katema, a food writer and the director of the New York Japanese Culinary Academy, which promotes a deep understanding of Japanese cuisine in America. We are broadcasting live from Brooklyn, New York. This show is all about Japanese food and food culture. We see sushi at every day on the supermarket, but what is beyond sushi? We hear dashi ramen isakaya, but what exactly are they? Japanese food is so mystery for many people, and I try to demystify it in this program with my good guests. And my guest today is Zach Mangan, who is the co-founder of Kero, the Japanese tea importer and the distributor based in New York and Fukuoka, Japan. He is also the author of the fantastic book about Japanese tea, stories of Japanese tea, the regions, the growers, and the craft. And in September 2021, he opened a beautiful tea shop and gallery in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, uh, which is now one of the coolest sections of New York. And Zach joined us in episodes 44 and 264 and talked about his fascinating and somewhat accidental path to becoming a tea expert and his love and passion for tea. And Japanese tea is gaining the attention of consumers and beverage professionals nowadays for its pure deliciousness and diverse flavors, as well as its healthfulness. So today we'll discuss various flavors of Japanese tea that you can choose from, how to select the right type of tea to your liking, sustainable sourcing of Japanese tea that you should keep in mind, innovative Japanese tea products that are gaining attention among tea connoisseurs, and much, much more. But before we start, Japanese is available on the Heritage Radio Network website, as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. So please go to iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, whichever you listen to, and subscribe to Japanese. And please write a review. We really appreciate your feedback. Now, let's start a conversation with Zach Manga. Hello, Zach. Welcome back to the show. Hi, Akiko. Thanks for having me. It's nice to be here. Yeah, so um, so for listeners who have not listened to episodes 44, 264, uh, where are you from? And how did you end up devoting your life to Japanese tea? Yeah, well, it's a interesting story. I am originally uh, grew up in Pennsylvania, went to school up in Boston, and then moved to New York City, actually, uh, to play music. I was a professional jazz musician for some of the years of my younger life. Um, and when I moved here, I was already kind of interested in Japanese tea. It was something that I discovered um, in college and something that I, um, you know, kind of fell in love with, but just sort of something I enjoyed at home. But when I moved to New York, I needed work. So I actually started working for a Japanese tea store in Manhattan um, because, you know, in addition to looking for work with music, I needed something else to support myself. And I actually didn't expect that that would lead to a career. But, you know, as I, you know, started working there and continued to work there, I became, you know, deeply fascinated with Japanese tea and with ceramics and Japanese culture. And little did I know, <laughs> after about two years, the store closed. Um, I was 
able to start traveling to Japan. I visited Japan for the first time in 2010 on my own. And, and it was that trip that really sparked my you know, idea for starting a business. Um, so I took some time over the next three years, actually, to just you know, casually start to build relationships with farmers and kind of understand um, you know, how the tea industry in Japan worked. Because you know, prior to that, I was just living here in New York and, and you know, selling tea leaves, but I didn't really know too, that, that much about the industry. Um, and it was during that time that I realized you know, there were many kind of pain points that uh, restricted farmers or tea producers from getting their tea into the United States. And through kind of the, you know, those years of listening and just hearing, you know, how, what some of those uh, tricky points were, uh, it, it kind of led me to rethink the idea of, you know, what an importer does. So I actually ended up setting up an office in Fukuoka Prefecture um, with some partners and started building these relationships, as I mentioned. And then you know, it was really after about two and a half, almost three years that I was finally able to kind of, you know, uh, develop a strong enough relationship and, and enough trust with the grower that they would allow me to sort of take their teas and, and bring them into the United States. And that's really the the beginning of how the company started and, and how we still work today. I still have an office there. I still work with a lot of the same producers. It's grown a lot now, of course, but uh, the sort of simple passion to connect these wonderful farmers and producers with, uh, you know, with customers here and, and abroad, uh, that remains the same. Mm, right. Um, so that uh, your quick version of your, how you got into this whole thing, this really the most interesting part of packed in episode 44 and also 264. It's really like, you can write a book about it, how all those coincidences led to your office opening in Fukuoka, not Anywhere else. So listeners, if you haven't, episode 44, that's really amazing. Um, yeah, and then, you know, like you said, growers, your book contains a lot of uh, interesting stories about growers, which I love because tea, Japanese tea is very artisanal and human-made, and you need the backstory, and you really appreciate, like, you know, like if you go to Burgundy Winery and who's making the wine, it's the same idea of, it's a handmade, precious, traditional product. So, yeah, um, your book really depicts it. And also your website features a lot of great farmers, too. So, anyway, so um, there are many types of tea in the world, including British-style black tea and a wide variety of Chinese tea like Oolong and Puar. So could you tell us what is so unique about Japanese tea compared to other types of tea? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, Japanese tea really up until probably 30 years ago um, was tea developed for the domestic market, meaning that most tea in Japan was consumed in Japan. And because of that, the style of tea you know, that's consumed most often or was consumed most often in Japan is green tea. That uh, means that by category, Japanese tea is 99% green tea. And within those categories of, you know, within within green tea, the, the larger category, there's many different styles. But what kind of makes it unique uh, across the board is that the tea leaves are steamed after they're picked. Where if you compare that to a, in a country of origin like Taiwan or China or, or India, they're using a different method of heat to, uh, you know, to fix the leaf right after they pick it. Um, so that's something unique. But I think 
beyond what you know just the the style of tea and the the you know method in which they make it japan has an incredibly unique tea culture so hi- historically it's it's developed something that i think touches on almost every point of of japanese culture and society that developed out of the tea ceremony uh so that's something very very unique it's kind of uh, intertwined with the you know many points of culture whether it's food you know history religion tea is kind of this thread that runs through Japanese culture in a way that um, it makes it very distinct and, and very unique in the same way that, you know, tea had traveled out of China and ended up in many countries. And whether it's, you know, as I said, Taiwan or Korea or, or Russia, it tea really reflects the culture and place that it goes. Um, so obviously Japan has such a unique and rich culture. So it really reflects it in a very special way. Mm. I, yeah. You just touched on that you know, spiritual side of Japanese culture uh, that's influenced by tea. That's interesting, like the Sen no Rikyu, who established this um, idea of tea uh, subject of focus instead of something um, decorative. And it's very, it's a, became a tool uh, focus. I think it's probably related to some caffeine effects or something, but um, yeah, that, that's a whole other episode. We can, we, we can do that. Um, you know, the spiritual side of tea. Yeah, you know, to your point too, yeah, I mean, you know, if you think about Japanese cuisine as well, I mean, uh, if if you're familiar, if your listeners are familiar with kaiseki cuisine, which is really, I think, the the sort of highest expression of Japanese seasonal cooking, um, that is, was born in the tea room. I mean, that is a a cuisine that was developed uh, right, literally in tandem with traditional Japanese tea ceremony. And a lot of, you know, sort of the, the, the service style, the etiquette that you use, even, you know, beyond food into just, you know, the way uh, society interacts, people interact with each other in Japan, you can really see the seeds of that in the tea room. And, you know, obviously, as you mentioned, Sen no Rikyu was one of the sort of most influential characters in that. So if, if your listeners are interested to learn more, I, I highly recommend uh, there's a, a great movie about Sen no Rikyu and there's a few books you can find as well. He was a fascinating person. Mm, right. And there are so many uh, words of wisdom by Sen no Rikyu and uh, the way he died even. He was uh, trying to stay kind of clean and focused and he didn't change his philosophy of tea as um, the tool of spiritual clarity. And uh, the shogun, who's against uh, his idea, told him to kill himself, and which he did. So, yeah, that's like a very uh, heroic story. But, yeah, maybe we can just do another episode about spiritual side of generosity. Yeah. Mm. Right? Um, okay, so, um, yeah, so within the category of Japanese tea, uh, there are many different types as well. So for listeners who are not familiar with Japanese tea, what are the main types of Japanese tea? Right. So as mentioned, 99% of tea produced in Japan uh, is green tea. And the major kind of categories of green tea would be sencha, which is the largest category of all tea produced in Japan. It's a steamed green tea, uh, and it can really vary in um, you know, its profile and in its taste, depending on which prefecture it comes from. Um, then we have the gyokuro, which is a, a very unique, very high-quality shaded green tea. Uh, we have matcha, which many people are familiar with, which is a milled green tea that's whisked rather than being brewed. Uh, we have hojicha, roasted green tea. We have genmaicha, which is a blend of 
uh, green tea leaves with roasted brown rice. Um, and then actually beyond green tea, there are other unique varieties of tea, including black tea, oolong, some pan-fired green teas, and even fermented teas. If you travel to the island of Shikoku, there's a, a really interesting tradition of making fermented teas there. So while most people are probably familiar with a few of those teas, there's actually quite a, uh, a deep landscape of tea being produced throughout Japan. Mm, right. So tea is very regional too. And uh, like you said earlier, you know, Japanese tea is steamed instead of roasted. So the color is brighter. Mm-hmm. It's like a fresh, greener uh, vegetable, but sweet and yet slightly bitter, but then umami rich. So it's like a, there's a triangle of flavor <laughs> in one yeah. <laughs> cup. Yeah. You're describing it perfectly. It's a complex flavor, that's for sure. But to your point, steaming, again, is that really unique um, characteristic that brings out this really you know, gorgeous, deep color, this natural sweetness, and also umami. You get this kind of unique, savory characteristic with Japanese teas that it's just so beautiful to have uh, alongside Japanese cuisine, the integration of flavor. It's just like they're, they were born for each other. Mm, right. And uh, also another difference is, um, you know, Japanese tea are not uh, fermented. Like, you know, you said there are exceptions, like you mentioned uh, in Shikoku or some other places. But, you know, like oolong is half fermented, black tea is fully fermented and all those different nuances. And Japanese tea, because there's no, um, no fermentation process, is something very distinctive experience. So... Yeah, that's something. It's not just the matcha powder. It's the actual loose leaf tea can offer so much. Mm. Right? Absolutely. Um, right. And also, um, because of the process, um, Japanese tea is known for its um, healthfulness. And uh, it's not just like, you know, it's healthy looking or healthy. There are some clinical um, proven health benefits. So what are the health benefits that's proven? in terms of Japanese tea? That's a very, very good question. I'm glad you asked that. I actually take a chapter in my book to discuss the health benefits of Japanese tea. And I was really honored to be joined by Dr. Andrew Weil, who was a you know very influential person in my, my you know, getting into Japanese tea. He's someone who promoted it a lot in his books. And I always really enjoyed uh, his take on it because like anything that's naturally healthy, uh, <laughs> marketers will take hold of that and start of, you know, start to sort of distort um, the or or you know, maybe magnify certain things or not tell the whole story in order to sell more product. But um, I, my philosophy and what we do, you know, with at my company Kettle is we we really want to focus on making sure that we're we're direct and very truthful about the health benefits. And like you said, Japanese tea is um, full of really unique um, health benefits, unique chemical structures. Uh, I think that the number one thing that you're looking at is that like the consumption of Japanese green tea does have, or, you know, clinically is shown to have a, you know, anti-inflammatory effect on the body. Uh, And most likely that's through the uh, presence of a certain type of antioxidant called catechin. Uh, catechin is unique because it's actually the same chemical that protects the tea plant. Uh, and I'll explain how. So when a tea plant is growing in full sunlight, uh, you know, it's absorbing large amounts of sunlight to photosynthesize and create energy. 
Uh, and when it does that, it also is susceptible to UV damage the same way that if you go out without sunscreen on, you can get a sunburn. So tea plants actually produce higher levels of this certain chemical catechin to you know, repair any cellular damage that they get from sunlight. And when tea is manufactured and it's processed in the way that they do, which is it's very lightly processed, it's steamed, it's rolled, it's dried, uh, those steps actually help to you know, maintain the level of catechin in the leaf. So when you, the end user, consume that leaf and you drink that tea, those same catechins, which were protecting the plant from UV uh, and other types of free radical damage, you consume those, those same chemicals go into your body and do the same for you, which is, I just love that idea that the, you're sort of inheriting the, uh, you know, the health protecting uh, benefits that the plant was using. So it's, it's, I just think that's such a unique and kind of um, magical story to think about how, how that ends up in your body. But yeah, those catechins, uh, you know, they've been shown to, you know, to, Again, you know, this is we try and stick to peer reviewed or, you know, things that have been shown to have a high likelihood of truthfulness through lab studies. But, yeah, I mean, showing lower rates of cancer, um, blood pressure, um, looking at cholesterol. You know, I think it's it's safe to say adding Japanese tea to your diet is uh, is a smart move. And it's something that will over time enhance your your health and well-being. And one of the other things, Akiko, which doesn't get talked about that much is sort of the mental and spiritual side of, of you know, taking time out of your day to do something thoughtful and, 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 you know, slowing down. I think that also promotes kind of a sense of well-being as well. Um, so I would say on the other side, just be wary. I mean, you know, anytime someone sells a product, they're going to, you know, sometimes make some less than truthful promises uh, in the hopes that you'll you'll buy it. Um, so if you see things from, you know, companies promising very, very specific things, like you'll definitely lose weight or your hair will grow back or, you know, whatever <laughs> it may be, the chances are take that with a definite grain of salt. But I can say unequivocally that consuming high quality Japanese tea is something that absolutely will impact your health in a positive way. Mm, right. And also, um, you know, also the L-theanine that is um, present more in green tea, Japanese green tea, uh, which I heard with uh, along with caffeine is coming, but also that really increases your focus uh, when you do mm. certain tasks. And um, that's so true. Yeah, yeah. L-theanine sort of works almost like a counter balance to caffeine. So if you have, you know, when you drink caffeine, your your nervous system sort of wakes up, you kick into gear, you feel this sort of like pleasant feeling of energy. But over time, you may start to feel a little bit like, you know, a little bit strung out or, you know, a little shaky where L-theanine actually sort of balances uh, that feeling of energy with this sort of calm, restful sort of focus energy. And those together, I think, work in really nice tandem to help you not only, you know, get energy, but also stay focused. Mm, right. So it's kind of anecdotal, but uh, shoguns and, you know, monks drink green tea to focus. And at the same time, you're awake, but you're kind of calm. So that's mm -hmm. what I heard. But there's no proven. I never measured all those blood <laughs> data of those shoguns and monks, but... Um, I I think it's pretty effective, and also I I like coffee, and I after drink I feel like I I had too much coffee, and I feel jittery, and I have some you know mm -hmm. L-theanine, and it goes away, 
So mm-hmm. healthy and is built in green tea. So that's why I don't get that jitter uh, very often or almost never with uh, green tea. So that's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a good benefit, I think. For sure, yes. Right. Okay. So we'll take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll dive into how to select the right Japanese tea to your liking. So please stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008. And has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden. Serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Japan Needs on HRN, Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Aki Kotema. My guest today is Zach Mangan, who is the co founder of Kettle, the Japanese tea importer and distributor based in New York and Fukuoka, Japan. He's also the author of the fantastic book about Japanese tea Stories of Japanese Tea, the Regions, the Growers, and the Craft. And in September 2021, he opened a beautiful tea shop and gallery in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. So,、um, there are more quality oriented tea shops, including yours, Kettle Tea in New York, as well as online shops、uh, that ship worldwide because Japanese tea is gaining attention globally. So, what is your suggestion for where to buy high quality tea besides、uh, your shop, Kettle? And how can you tell the vendor is a good one? Great question. Something we talk about often. I was doing a training just a couple of days ago and I talked a lot about、uh, this exact question. So, you know, for us, the future of tea is、um, very much sort of in line with the future or, you know, what, what you see with wine and with spirits, where there's a lot of information, there's a lot of diversity in the vendors、uh, and a lot of specific retailers who can kind of guide you. And in tea, we're still definitely in the infancy, meaning that even the, the tea sellers, you know,、uh, obviously here in New York City, we, we're lucky we have you know, plenty of specialty tea shops. But I think you know, in most places,、uh, a lot of times the, even the tea purveyors are not, you know, don't have access to all the information. So it can be challenging if you're a consumer looking for you know, very specific, specific information. So, what we like to say is you know, build a relationship, just like if you have a local wine shop, you know, build a relationship with someone you trust and learn from them. You know, ask questions,、um, ask for recommendations.、Um, so, you, know, you can start to learn from people who know more than you. But I do think one of the things that I always say is you should use your own taste to guide you. So, no matter what, if somebody says, like, this is The best tea, you should like this, you should try this, and you don't like it, 
it doesn't mean you're missing something necessarily. It just might mean that you have a different profile that you're you know, interested in or your, your taste is different than what someone might be selecting. So I would definitely tell people when they're learning to be open, uh, to try as many versions or varieties of, of certain style of tea as possible to find you know, what it is that you like. Um, but a few things that I think um, you should look for when shopping for tea is you know, how specific uh, the retailer can be about the, you know, the origin of the product. So, you know, if you're looking for, let's say matcha, I talk a lot about this with, uh, with customers who, who are looking to buy quality matcha and they say, Oh, I buy it on Amazon. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I never like it. It doesn't taste good. Well, the truth is, you know, a lot of that, you know, if, if you buy that, that matcha and you look at it, there's actually not that much information. So you want to find out, of course, the country of origin. Uh, when you're dealing with Japanese teas, obviously you're looking for Japan. <laughs> if you're buying sencha from a different country, um, you know, it's really hard to, to call that sencha because it's, it may not be produced in line with the quality parameters that are set in Japan. Um, so you want to know, of course, the country of origin. More specifically, if they can tell you a prefecture, or a town within a prefecture, you're in really good shape. I mean, the more specific, you know, the, the information, the better, you know, I think the product and the more you can trust that retailer. Um, and, you know, if they can even give you the name of the producer, to me, that's like the dream. That's like wine. So, you know, for me, the most value is when you can actually connect the product to a person. Uh, and for me, that's something that our company, we really strive to try and share as much information about as possible is who made it, how it was made, where it came from, what are their regional characteristics. Um, but at a, at a minimum, you definitely want, you know, country of origin, you want to know when it was harvested. So uh, an important thing to note is that with Japanese tea, it's not something that, you know, is, is typically aged for long periods of time. So, you know, with you, when you have pu'er or certain oolongs that are, you know, continually roasted, uh, you may see like, this is a vintage from 1988. You don't see that as much. Um, you do a little bit with certain teas, but not, not so much with Japanese teas. So you're really looking to try and consume teas within the calendar year of when they're produced. So that means teas are harvested in the spring. So April, May. So for example, we are now coming up on the end of the teas calendar year. So all the teas, the freshest teas were produced in the spring and they you know, last for that year. And then we get to harvest in April for 2023. And that's when the new harvest starts coming in. So you wanna ask them, when was it produced? Uh, and they should be able to tell you that. And then expiration date is really important. So you don't, you know, these teas aren't like, you know, once they're packaged, there is a shelf life. And we like to think of, you know, our, for example, we, we do all of ours in oxygen-free packaging, which uh, makes the shelf life about a year. Um, but once you do open them, uh, it's, there's, you know, a specific amount of, of time you want to drink them within, which is about six weeks to two months. So, you know, looking for, uh, specifically where they come from, uh, any, you know, stylistic or regional information you can get, uh, making sure it's packaged and date stamped. Those are all very, very good signs. If you don't see those, you know, one of the things I try and tell people to avoid is if you go to a tea shop and they keep opening a big, you know, jar or kind of, you know, drum and, and dishing out the tea individually with a spoon, that's a bad thing for Japanese tea because that means those teas are continuously being, you know, exposed to air. And that's something that will, uh, over time, certainly uh, reduce the flavor and aroma of the tea. 
Mm, right. I'm curious though. Once I open, you know, really good packaged product like yours, uh, should I refrigerate it or put it in the freezer or keep it on uh, room temperature? Good question. So uh, when you like, if you order a pack of tea from Japan or from us and you get it, and let's say you order three, right? And you're like, well, I only drink one at a time. So I would take the two unopened ones immediately, just put them into the refrigerator and keeping them at that cool temperature away from light, heat and moisture will extend the life, uh, you know, keep them in good shape. Once you open it, it really is dependent on how quickly you're going to drink it. So if you're drinking one cup of tea a day, Let's say you get a 100-gram pack of tea, which is a typical serving for Japanese tea. It's about three and a half ounces. Um, you're drinking probably like once a day. You're, let's say you're drinking you know, five to six grams um, a day. You can kind of start to do the math on how long that's going to last you. If your tea is – if you're taking longer than a month to consume it, what I would suggest doing is probably pouring out half – into something uh, to store it out of the fridge and then keeping that second half of the bag tightly sealed and put that back in the refrigerator. You don't necessarily want to keep moving it in and out of the fridge all the time because you can develop condensation, which over time will actually can be detrimental to the quality. So um, that's a little bit of a convoluted answer. But what I would say is if you're drinking it within a month, you don't need to keep it in the fridge. If you're taking longer than a month to drink one pack, I would divvy it up, keep some out of the fridge and some in the fridge. Mm, so no freezer. Yeah, freezers, uh, you know, unless there's very specific reasoning, uh, we don't usually suggest the freezer. If you're going to like store certain matcha for very long periods of time, it's fine. But to be to be honest, the refrigerator is is adequate. You don't typically need to go much cooler than a refrigerator. Mm, good to know. Okay. And uh, all right. So for our listeners who are not familiar with Japanese tea yet, uh, what is your advice on how to pick the right tea out of many different types for their preference? Yeah, great. That's a good question. So I think if you're if you've never had Japanese tea before and you kind of want to understand sort of right away sort of the, you know, the the real foundational flavor. I would certainly try sencha to begin with. I think one of the reasons I, I suggest sencha as a starting point too is of, of the styles of Japanese tea, sencha is produced in the most places. So you have the opportunity to try something, for example, from Shizuoka or from uh, Saitama or, you know, Kyoto. There's many different regions and you can, they're all quite different. So you can kind of explore and there's always more to learn because there's always different areas you can you can try the sencha from so i think that's a great place to start those teas are going to be you know grassy they're going to have some sweetness some umami instead of that savory character and they give you sort of i think a really nice pleasant uh, energy they are caffeinated um, and depending how you brew them they can be on the lighter side they can be you know definitely more rich and robust so I think that's a great place to start if you've never had it. Now, if caffeine, for example, is an issue and you think, oh, I don't drink tea because I'm really sensitive to caffeine, you can actually try hojicha. Hojicha is one of my favorite styles of tea. It's a roasted green tea, very aromatic, lots going on with you know the fragrance. It's, it's something like kind of enchanting in the sense that it's got something almost coffee-like because it's toasted and roasted. Uh, it has this sort of like really beautiful, you know, light, uh, flavor profile on the palate and because it's roasted and oftentimes some from a later part of the harvest to the caffeine is naturally lower so that's one that i think is is a nice gentle way to start 
Um, I'm sure a lot of your listeners and uh, you know people are are familiar with matcha. Um, that's a great great tea. It's it's something that I almost feel like is its own class of teas because it's. I think a lot of people don't even consider themselves tea drinkers when they drink matcha because it's so sort of you know specific in that people have you know a real love affair with matcha. So matcha, I think is, is great if you're looking for something to replace coffee. So I know a lot of people are saying, oh, I wish I drank less coffee. Not that I have anything against coffee. I, I think coffee is wonderful, but many people come to us. Even just today, I had someone who said they've sort of substituted matcha, uh, excuse me, substituted coffee with matcha. So I think that's a great place to start if you're looking for that sort of like, you know, energy kick and also something that can be made quickly and easily because much is the original instant tea you don't need a teapot you can just a few little tools and you can make it pretty quickly in the morning mm, but it looks like instant tea it's just the powder <laughs> but yeah right uh, i know yeah but uh i think you know if you have the chest and the whisk and uh, like going back to the point of uh very meditative uh, coming moment to make tea matcha's whisk uh whisking matcha to make it the perfect floss it's a very, very good moment, and um, it's very positive. You you have a moment to think, calm down. And I think that I heard these are the, the, the time to come up with new ideas rather than just try to think, and there's nothing moment. So, yeah, I think it's a yeah, good there's a, one, of, one of our producers talks a lot about that, who's a matcha producer in this small area called Uji, which is just south of Kyoto, uh, and he and his wife have obviously they drink a lot of matcha because they're they're <laughs> farmers but they um really talk about spending that time in the morning to just you know not have anything to do other than to just enjoy the process and that's something that especially here in new york i think we often take for you know we, we miss that in our busy lives we have things to do we have places to go and people to meet but you know i i get up in the morning and the, you know i eat a little something and then the first thing i do is make tea and it really is almost like it, it pulls me into this moment that um, I, I feel settled. I feel like I can collect my thoughts for the day. It's not like I have to be there with a strong purpose of like, I got to do this. I got to think about this. I got to come up with an idea. It's just a, kind of allowing the day to start. And it's something I honestly look forward to every morning when I wake up and it sets a nice tone for the day. And it's just, you know, a, a really beautiful time to kind of sit with the tea, enjoy it, and then, you know, prepare myself for the day ahead. Mm, right. So that's the uh, evacuated and <laughs> no crazy thoughts. That's back to who you are. So that's the moment of mm -hmm. making tea, right? Okay. And uh, so, um, oh, by, by the way, I was going to say, so Hojicha, you mentioned uh, much less caffeinated tea. Um you know, mm -hmm. my father, he's from Kyushu, but, you know, he grew up in Tokyo and he had a hojicha all the time for some reason. Mm -hmm. And uh, the hojicha in Yame, like, you know, where your office is based, it was so much different. I was surprised. It's a way different, kind of like more gentle, feminine style of tea. Mm -hmm. And I was impressed how visually uh the tea, the same category of tea can be different. Like you said earlier, like uh, Sayama tea in Saitama to Kyoto to Shizuoka. So yeah, it's fascinating. So anyways, yeah. Yeah, I think you're hitting on you're hitting on that point of it being, you know, in, in so many ways similar. I, I kind of probably sound like a broken record talking about wine, but, you know, it's something that I think 
we're moving from this idea of tea, like it's Japanese tea and it's all from Japan and it's all similar to, it's really regionally specific. And I think, you know, it's, it's fun to get to share that, especially for people who are familiar. If you've grown up drinking, you know, tea in one place in Japan, you're, you know, that's to you, that's kind of what you think of as hojicha. And then to try a different version, it's, it can be very surprising and very, I think, enjoyable to be like, wow, I, you know, I, I didn't know, uh, tea could taste like that, even if you're you're, you're from the place where it comes from. Mm, right. Okay. And uh, so uh, here's an interesting thing. So you can fully enjoy Japanese on its own, like first thing in the morning, like you said, or you know all day long. But uh, you have done something interesting, uh, which is food and Japanese tea pairings in the past. So could you share your experiences? Yeah, this is something I'm really passionate about because I think, um, you know, it, it kind of reintroduces people to tea. Tea is something that I always say, like, if you knock on 10 doors in any neighborhood in America and say, I need a cup of tea. Do you have any tea? Most of the people are going to say, yeah, hold on a second. I have tea, meaning that most people are familiar with tea. And that's a really interesting thing because it's not like we're introducing, you know, a kettle, a product that no one's ever heard of. So we're actually dealing with something very familiar, but it's actually quite different than what people probably have uh, experienced drinking tea. It's like it's so close to, you know, tea is so close um, to people sometimes that they, they, they can't really see it. You know, it's like uh, thinking about like a, a staple food like milk or, you know, things that you're just so familiar with and then trying something that's so uniquely different. Uh, it really sets people down the path of, I think, uh, being very excited by it and wanting to explore more. So for us, tea pairings are a way to kind of recontextualize the experience of drinking tea. And in the same way, you can, you know, pair pretty much any beverage with food. You kind of, you know, we've, we really enjoy kind of finding um, things that both, you know, complement and contrast the food. And that could mean temperature. So, you know, we serve hot teas with food, cold teas with food. We carbonate teas and, and try them in a wine glass. And it's just a really, I think, fun way to explore the, the full range of expression that Japanese tea um, gives us. And it's you know obviously a great way for us to interact with a lot of our partners, uh, our wholesale partners, with chefs, with restaurants. Um, and I know, Akiko, you're familiar with this because you wrote a wonderful article in Forbes about it. Um, but, you know, in restaurants now, sometimes 30, 40, even 50 percent of guests are not drinking alcohol. And, you know, that's something that I think um, has sort of opened the you know avenue to use tea as a way to get people involved uh, with with beverage in restaurants. So, you know, one of the reasons we love serving tea and wine glasses, I talk about this all the time, is that, you know, if you're out to dinner and you decide you don't want to have alcohol, but everyone else is drinking wine, and you have a hot teacup, and they all have a wine glass, it immediately sort of positions you as an outsider at the meal. <laughs> uh, and putting it into a wine glass is a way to sort of make you know everyone feel inclusive. And it's so funny, because dining is so much about mirroring. It's about the way you hold the wine glass. It's about the way you cheers, you know, the way you can swirl it and look at it. And you know, you can participate in the meal the same way as people who are drinking. And it's the same. We do these tea cocktails, which have no alcohol in them. They come in a rocks glass with a beautiful piece of ice. And, you know, the, the tactile experience uh, is, is exactly the same, but you don't need to consume alcohol because tea has so much, you know, 
so many unique flavor profiles and you know it, it just adds so much uh you know it's not just like having a sparkling water it actually provides kind of a real culinary experience so that's something that uh, i'm really passionate about and well, we've been doing them uh, in the past and we have you know more events planned for the future as well Mm, hey, it's surprising. I think the tea has good umami, which is always a bridging point with food. So it's not just Japanese food, but, you know, you've done a lot of interesting Western-style food and Japanese tea pairings very successfully. Um, this is at one more point of, you know, the glass, wine glass and Japanese tea. I think by served in wine glass, um, just like Japanese sake, tea gets better opportunity to show off its flavors. So it's kind of win-win to be not just how it looks, but Japanese teas in glass instead of, uh, you know, like a very old style, classic style, beautiful cup. I think transparency, Mm -hmm. it really is the Japanese green tea color. It's stunning, like really beautiful. Mm. So yeah, it's like the win-win. I think the idea of, you know, uh, served in Western style table, I think it's a uh, part of the future of Japanese tea. So, mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah, and uh, so also Japanese is becoming increasingly popular these days. And in 2021, export value of tea from Japan doubling. That is in 2015, which is a lot of increase. And the top destination was the U.S., uh, which accounted for 50 percent. Uh, half of the total. So it means that now premium Japanese tea is more widely available um, outside of Japan. So who actually is drinking Japanese tea outside of Japan and uh, where are they drinking? At home or restaurant or cafes or where are they? That is a great question and information we are uh, always trying to study and understand because like you said, there's been a rapid uh, development of, of tea consumption increasing outside of Japan. And uh, you do see it in the United States, you see it in parts of Western Europe, but you do really even see it globally. Um, and I think that, you know, it's it's a lot of people, everyone's drinking it. I mean, here in New York City, if you look at on a Saturday afternoon in our cafes, I mean, we have people from every borough here, you know, male, female, and it's just something that I think uh, it's growing in popularity. And I think the reason why is the, you know, the world is a lot smaller now with access to, you know, items from every, you know, every country imaginable. So tea is is no different. I mean, people can now come in New York City to a place and, and try teas from, you know, 12 prefectures. And, you know, each year, more and more people are, uh, able to kind of interface with these products. And I think it's a testament to how, you know, unique and delicious tea is, is that the people who try it more often than not want to have that experience again. So I often feel like people do go out and have some of their first experiences around Japanese tea in, you know, whether it's in a restaurant or at a cafe that's focused on tea. And then the nice thing about it is it becomes a ritual that people take home. And it's something that they can start their day with or in the afternoon or even in the evening. It's something that's repeated daily. So we actually have seen since the pandemic, the pandemic was a huge growth period for us because so many people were at home and were discovering like, oh, my gosh, this is something I didn't ever really pay attention to before. But, you know, they were getting a teapot, they were getting loose tea leaves, or they were buying a, a matcha whisk, you know, chasen with, with 
the powder. And they started to create these rituals at home that, you know, now they're like, oh, I, I honestly, we get people every day that come in and say, oh, you know, this is something I look forward to and do every day. And it's, it's a daily ritual. Um, so I do feel like restaurants now are, you know, the expectations from customers are much higher than they used to be. So, you know, especially in, you know, nice restaurants, like, you know, they're sourcing their tomatoes and their rice and their, you know, the meat from all of these great producers. And then, you know, at the end of the meal, they were bringing out tea bags. And I think customers were like, hey, you know, if you care about all these other products, why are you kind of phoning it in on the tea program? And that's changed a lot. That demand has really, uh, you know, changed. And I think restaurateurs are, are paying attention. And that also is a cycle. Then people come in, they try the teas, and we get people all the time that come in and say, oh, my God, I had your tea at, you know, such and such a restaurant. I loved it. I want to buy some. And they become, you know, uh, they become customers kind of through that entry point. Mm, right. So it started to be, a, a, there's a good cycle, um, learning and actually available. You try it and it's a part of your life and it's, it's a very ideal pattern. Mm, I think you nailed it. Yeah. I was just going to say with anything, education is and exposure is, is so important. And that's why we really care about having physical locations in addition to our online site, because it's so different to go in and to experience it and to get the support you need and like how it's brewed and people want to ask questions. You know, it's not like you can open a bottle and pour it out the way you can with other beverages. You really need to participate in it. So for us, I think you nailed it when you said that education element and that experience element is so important. But as I always say, once people try it, it you know, especially because, oh, I've had tea, I'm familiar with tea. When you can offer someone who, you know, an experience that reshapes their expectations of a thing that they they feel very familiar with, that's a very strong customer experience. So that's something we love watching is the first time someone tries gyokuro or the first time someone has fresh roasted hojicha and then their eyes light up and they're like, oh man, like I can never un experience that like now I want that and that's exactly what happened to me when we talked about in the beginning my traveling to Japan you know I the first time I didn't mention it in, in this episode but you know I was introduced to a, a very specific tea that changed my you know perception of what tea could taste like and that actually made me go to Japan to kind of seek that experience because at that time I it wasn't you know there, there weren't so many places you could you could experience tea like that. And now that's something I really try to, you know, to share as an experience with our customers is that, you know, we have and other purveyors as well have teas that people have never experienced before. But once they do, it really changes their perception of, of what tea can taste like. Mm, interesting. Right. First um, time you really get obsessed with, like, I have to try that again. That kind of strong taste memory, I think it's really a enriched experience of your whole life, right? Like, if you could eat the same thing every day, but once you have it, and it's something to look forward to, and the tea is very easy to um, drink every day, and uh, it's not, like, <laughs> super expensive, like, like, $1,500 a bottle of wine or anything. So that's amazing. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, by the way, I, before the show, we just chat that specific tea you got fell in love with. And I recently, I tasted the same thing. And I was like, why is it so delicious? I had, it's a sencha, and I had that sencha category many, many times. So this is something different. And I don't know why. And you mm-hmm. didn't even know why yet. So that's a magic. It's a mystery. 
mysterious thing. There's certain things we can, you know, we can describe and explain. And then there's, you know, even the producers, you talk to them, sometimes they'll say, yeah, I'm not really sure. It's just, that's, it's a confluence of the, you know, the land and the weather and the seasonality and the production style. It's, it's very complex. Mm, right. So that's the nature's gift in a way. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Right. Okay. So, but despite uh, such a special tradition, um, you know, and its popularity abroad increasingly, the Japanese tea industry has been declining. So why is that? Well, it's interesting. I think, you know, like anything, um, tea in Japan has, it has struggled to sort of find its home uh, as, you know, people are moving to the city, people are looking for convenience. Um, So I think, you know, it has been declining within Japan um, as people just look for, you know, a lot of more people drinking coffee. And then even in coffee, they're drinking, you know, convenient things they can buy at the convenience store or in a vending machine. Uh, But it's funny because people still drink a lot of bottled tea. So there is a tradition. It's just moved into this sort of like convenience focused um, version of tea where I have a suspicion to be honest, that tea will start to rebound um, because it's it's you know gaining popularity abroad. We're seeing more actually in the last couple of years more tea cafes opening within Japan, um, and I think that will lead to generationally a younger generation becoming more interested in it. But um, I do also feel to that point that you know the outside of Japan, the market that exists outside of Japan, is very much the future of Japanese tea in terms of giving a wider audience to the producers. Because even in Japan, honestly, and uh, you can tell me if you agree with this, a lot of people who drink tea, you know, in Japan are not necessarily even sure where it comes from. They say, oh, it's Sencha. Yeah. Oh, is it from, oh, Shizuoka? I, don't, I actually don't know. Uh, so that level of, of seeing it as kind of an artisanal beverage is very different there than it is abroad. Uh, and I think the, I've seen the farmers kind of change their mind about like, oh, in the beginning, when I first started sourcing, there was a real reluctance to ship the teas out because they thought, well, I don't know, are people going to understand how to make it? Like, the, you know, it's, it's difficult, like, you know, the exchange of, you know, it's it, the cultures, it's too big of a gap. It's not going to work. And I think they've really started to change their mind, seeing that the deep appreciation for the artisanal kind of characteristics of Japanese tea abroad. So I think that ultimately, though, as many things do, they leave Japan, they sort of get influenced outside of Japan, and then they sort of find their way back to Japan in a way. And then it's something funny. It's like, you know, it happens in the United States, too, like where somebody in another culture shines a light on something that you just didn't notice before. And it kind of gives you this sort of like, pride and also sort of this like permission to be like wow that's that is special we are we do do a really good job at that and it sort of promotes from that perspective you know um people within japan wanting to enjoy it as well so that's my hope is that us making tea more sort of accessible and more popular here in the united states will ultimately drive the market in japan as well Mm, interesting yeah and you know by the way that patterns of people japanese people they i think i had this conversation with the past guests too so we need to be more confident as japanese and then like Mm. other people say like whoa really is this so valuable so oh maybe you can be more confident that's like a 
classic pattern of everything almost, um, you know, Japanese sake to any like shochu. The traditional value people think, well, it's a tiny little island country. People don't understand. Mm-hmm. It's too complicated. But mm-hmm. I think the objective analytical view of what exactly it is, people don't, like you said, I totally agree. When I grew up, I drinking tea every day, but I really didn't think of even, even Shizuoka, like, what? what's Shizuoka? What's the difference from Kyoto tea? I really didn't think of it. And mm-hmm. it's just like a water, keep drinking, and your parents drinking it, right. I drink the same thing. And I, to be honest, because my dad was drinking hojicha, I thought hojicha was the tea, <laughs> not sencha. Right, so, right, right, right. Right, so, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I'm, I am so glad to hear um, there's a rebounding um, movement, and also, like, maybe, like, coffee, the third wave coffee, everybody started being more artisanal, and handmade mm-hmm. drip coffee. And they it's really valuable, um, not just the taste, but the ritual of time and focus and the quality. So hopefully, based on what you said, um, the third wave style of tea um, may arrive in Japan sometime, hopefully soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so how do you envision the future of Japanese tea, not just Japanese um, consumer market, but also overall globally. Yeah, I mean, I whether I envision it this way or not, it's growing. So I have to, you know, we have to accept that it is a product that's growing abroad. And I think that we're still sort of in this infancy, which is a really special place to be because, you know, people who are participating both within Japan and outside of Japan still have a lot of influence over the direction it goes. And ultimately, you know, Myself and, you know, the the folks that work with me here at Kettle, we've decided, you know, we have a very specific way we want things to progress. And that's really championing the grower and it's championing people. You know, it's, it's not just I think people a lot of times think often, you know, tea is a thing. It's a product. It's a commodity. But it's actually if you you know, it's it's. There's so much more than that. And I think that the for us, the thread runs back to the, the producer. So we do take a very artisanal look at it. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean we want things to be overly expensive or, you know, everything's written with super flowery language. It's not. It's about understanding that the products um, are, they're, they're works of art. I mean, they're, you know, a, a farmer has only limited amount of times in their life they get to produce that first harvest of tea so it's something very very special Um, and we really want to focus on creating a you know a marketplace that supports them we want to create an industry of professionals where we can all speak the same language we can all agree on you know what the standards of quality are that the customers understand how to shop for you know products how to understand labeling how to understand you know what is predatory marketing in terms of you know statements about health versus what's the the truth i mean it's it's for me it's like the incredibly exciting time to be a part of this because you know our decisions now will shape the future of it so i see it in a lot of ways developing uh, like wine, I think that there'll be, you know, there's always going to be different levels of quality and people want to spend different amounts. So there'll be options for people who, you know, want to get something, you know, less expensive that they drink high volumes of. I think there's going to be 
the opposite. There's, you know, we're already seeing very small amounts of very, very, very high quality tea coming in that certain customers are are looking for. And I think, you know, we're we're there's so much like tonight after this, I have, uh, you know, two calls with farmers in Japan to talk about, you know, this season, about what we expect, about forecasts, and about how they're feeling about it. And that dialogue to me is something that is really important because it's not just us to say, you know, in the States saying, here's the future of Japanese tea. We want to, you know, we want to participate in it with the farmers and with the producers and, and, and kind of map out together, um, you know, what we want to happen. And uh, it's, it's a really exciting time for, for everybody. So it's something I think, you know, we get up every morning, go to work, my wife and I, and we talk about it in the car on the way to work about how exciting it is to be a part of this industry now, because I think things are starting to rapidly develop. And I think people will be very surprised that uh, the customers and the folks who are, are, you know, being introduced to these teas, how quickly they're going to demand quality and how quickly they're going to demand access to, you know, to better products. So that's something I think for me, that's my hope for the future. Mm, right. Well, uh, I think you are one of the strong uh, forces to, um, you know, promote this whole movement of education and understanding and also actually bringing, bridging uh, in delivering the super high quality tea. And I, I know your products and um, and I, I can see your farmers, uh, like, you know, uh, listeners can see on the website, they're really real people, um, craftsmen, and mm. they their whole life is just making good tea. And that's really, by itself, is beautiful. So, yeah, I appreciate uh, more by getting, seeing the farmer's actual face and what yeah, they're to, doing. Yeah, to your, to your mm-hmm. point, too, I think we were talking about it earlier about how tea is declining in Japan. And it's so funny because in, the, in, in spite of that, you know, farmers and producers in the industry are actually trying harder to produce quality, which is you'd think the opposite where people would say like, oh, what's the point? There's less people drinking it in Japan. So let's take shortcuts. It's like there's never been more very high quality tea being produced in Japan in spite of the fact that the industry has declined. And that sort of that passion is what really excites me. And that's why I think it's important to create a market because those products are being made at such a high level that I feel like my responsibility is to say, okay, let's find people and connect those people to these products because I know how hard they're working and I know how difficult it must be, you know, to, to be insecure about what the future of your domestic marketplace looks like. So I think uh, you were you kind of wove that thread together for me there. That was a really, I think, really good point. Mm, right. And also, as I, we talked earlier, you know, Japanese people feel most sure of the, the value of what they're making. So um, now the market, like Japanese sake or shochu, more value-added products are becoming more uh, famous and in the market, more demanded in the market um, globally. That really motivates um, those craftsmen in Japan. And it's a good movement. So, yeah, I really think that, you know, the way you actually introduce your book, your tea, of course, shops, everything um, is very important to support these uh, traditional farmers. I don't know how many generations some of them are. So they're like whole family business for centuries. Mm-hmm. And we right. don't think we should stop there. <laughs> so it's important. Very true. Right. So, um, so by the way, you know, 
We talk about sustainability, about everything nowadays. So how important is sustainability in terms of Japanese tea? Because it's a, you know, at the end of the day, it's an agricultural product. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Great question. I think sustainability and a focus on, you know, being a stewardship of the land is is something that, you know, is, is incredibly important for any agricultural product, right? But tea, you know, specifically as well. So, you know, the farmers we work with, we spend a lot of time, you know, trying to understand the methodology of how they produce. And I can say that, you know, I think producers in Japan have a keen um, respect and a keen sort of um, eye for, you know, understanding the natural world and understanding nature and trying to work with the rhythms of nature. And, you know, as you know, better than anyone, you know, nature is a, is a strong theme um, and, a, and a very influential part of Japanese culture is that relationship to nature. And it's something that sensitivity that I find really inspiring in Japan. Uh, it doesn't mean every single farm or every single farmer in Japan, you know, is doing all the right things. But I think that there is a, a strong understanding that, you know, um, using more natural methods to produce tea will uh, be most beneficial. And one of the reasons why is, you know, having to move these products out of Japan into places like the EU or the United States, where there are specifically strict, you know, laws about pesticides, about, you know, heavy metals, about radioactive material, like that's something that farmers are very sensitive to. And, um, you know, one of the things I feel so lucky about is the commitment to sort of stewardship of the land and, and quality and safety that is, um, you know, the steps that are followed in Japan are, are very high in, in regards to those, um, you know, things I just mentioned. So it, it is something that needs to be considered. It needs, you know, there are still methods being developed now in terms of fertilizers and you know, uh, Japan is really, I think, at the forefront of, um, you know, the tea industry being able to create um, clonals or, you know, cultivars of the tea plant in order to, you know, to have the best outcomes, meaning that they're more frost resistant or they're going to, you know, uh, be able to live in a, a hotter climate like in Kyushu. Uh, so there's a, there's a lot of, of actual science going on behind the scenes in Japan to to make sure that teas are being produced at a high level with a lot of flavor and, and quality, but also, you know, that are going to have the, the least impact uh, on the earth. So that's something I think we, we can always get better at and something we, I think farmers as well as us here at Kettle are always kind of talking about uh, each year as well. Mm, right. And also sustainably uh, operating as a business and also, you know, healthy, um, physically healthy um pesticides all those things so we'll see what's mm -hmm. gonna happen in the near hopefully near future it's gonna be really a sustainable really famous famous business as sustainable yeah i think you know we're 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 on the right path and i think you know like for us we have all of our teas third party tested so obviously we you know we want to make sure that they're safe and and i can say you know i you know i don't i don't work in any other origins but i think um Japanese farmers really take this stuff quite serious and they know, you know, the acting responsibly is, is the right move, even if sometimes it's more expensive or they're not able to produce the same volume. I think generally it's, it's sort of understood in Japan that that's, that's the right way to go. Mm, right. Okay. So, um, 
So what are your plans and dreams in the short term and long term? Because it sounds like you have a lot going on. <laughs> That's a good, good question. I mean, we, I sometimes have to kind of uh, collect my thoughts because we have so much we want to do. But I think, you know, this year we're really focused on um, a lot of education. So we're building out, you know, we, we're now programming five classes a week uh, here in New York where people can come in and learn about tea and experience it. We have more programming in our stores we're opening up our gallery space. Uh, we have a cafe now, as you mentioned, in Brooklyn, where you can do kind of like easy to go tea. You can sit at our counter and do a tasting. We're opening um, this month a new traditional tea service with Wagashi, which is a traditional tea suite. And that'll be a little bit more introspective, quiet, seated tea experience. Um, we're actually now working on our third location in Los Angeles, which uh, is underway right now, hoping to open later this year. So. Uh, you know, California is our second largest market. So we're trying to, you know, um, number one, you know, grow our our brand there and grow Japanese tea consumption on the, the West Coast. But also kind of to your point of sustainability, we're building an operation there so we can not have to fly or ship the teas over California in order to ship them back. We're actually going to start warehousing things and distributing from the West Coast in order to, you know, be more, you know, conscious of the environment by you know making our our footprint smaller um and then yeah we have a, a lot of interesting sourcing this year my wife and i are heading to japan um the beginning of next month to do you know a, our first big sourcing trip since the pandemic so you know i just want to again connect more more growers talk tell their story more um i'm working on a book uh, my second book uh which will be focused on matcha and and will be going from A to Z, from all points, you know, from how it's cultivated, the history of it, you know, how, how it's produced in the factories, uh, who's making it, how to buy it, how to prepare it, all the fun things you can do with it. And it'll be very rich uh, in in photos. And then there'll actually be some video content that'll live online as well. So I don't know, I, 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 keep, I can't, I, I get too excited thinking about the future. So there's a lot of work to do. And we're, we're just excited to get to uh, showcase all these beautiful products from all the great producers we work with. Mm, right, amazing. So I think sounds like you have to come back here soon and uh, give us all the updates. We'll be back next. Let's do it next week. We'll just get, you know, we'll have some updates. <laughs> no, maybe that's too soon. Right. Not quite well, that soon. Yeah, well, we couldn't even finish the whole questions. We have so many, but yeah, we can do like every every month series if you want to. Okay, I'm in. So you have so much to offer. Sorry, I also talk a lot, so. No, no, it's a, you know, it's so much, and uh, it's so many multi aspects that you know you can look at not just tea but through the lens of tea there's so many mm-hmm. um issues we want to discuss and also like i think going back to the point tea is it's it's a beverage but it's uh the moment it become who you are and that's the starting mm-hmm. point of drinking mm-hmm. japanese tea yeah so uh where can we find your updates online and on social media yeah, so we are active primarily on Instagram, and our handle is the at Kettle Tea. It's K-E-T-T-L-T-E-A. And then on our website, which is kettle.co, so K-E-T-T-L dot C-O, uh, we're pretty active on our blog. We do a lot of updates. Um, and our newsletter, which you can sign up for, where we do you know new products that are coming in. Uh, we even do, like, this on this trip, I'll be doing a bunch of fun 
um, you know, live uh, streams from the farms. So I'll get to introduce a little bit about harvest, the farmers, how they're working. Um, so yeah, I think really kettle.co or at kettle tea on Instagram is the best place to follow along. Awesome. Yeah. So the point is no L, uh, no E at the end, right? K-E-T-T-L. Right. Right. right All right. Exactly. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today. And, uh, well, have a great trip in Japan and uh, come back and we'll discuss a lot more about amazing world of tea. Well, thank you so much for always uh, including me in the show. It's an honor always to be on and I appreciate it so much. Thanks for all your great questions. Okay, thank you. So, listeners, if you have any questions or comments about the show or suggestions for show topics or guests, please contact us at japaneeds at theheritageradionetwork.org or at kikuatema.com. Japaneeds is a weekly program and is always available at theheritageradionetwork.org as well as on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify as a podcast. Our engineer is Anan Spenjan, and thank you for listening. I will see you next week. Banyeats is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.